California has the largest population in the United States and the site of some of the most famous true crime cases in history. But there's more than meets the eye to the crime in California. Join Sean, Jessica, and Charles on the California True Crime Podcast as they cover crime both infamous and overlooked from around our state while looking at the deeper history that goes beyond beaches and movie stars. and welcome to the history of Sacarvelo, Georgia. I'm your host, Roberto, and this is episode 11, The Empire of Kartli. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Armenia. Our main source from this period is going to be the Roman historian Tacitus. Since he is a Roman, we're going to get a very pro-Roman point of view on the events happening around Kartli and Armenia. So, beware, Parsman will be cast as the bad guy. Duh. It's also around this point where we need to remember that the Katlis Hovrieba is not the best source of information. All we get is the birth of Jesus Christ and some history which makes no sense compared to actual contemporary sources. So, I will still be covering the Georgian Chronicles, but because they're fun to read, not because they're accurate. Also, keep listening to the episode all the way through as I'll have an announcement to make concerning scheduling for the holiday season. Last time on The History of Sacardvelo, Georgia, we went through the life of four kings of Kartli and ended with Parsman's rise to power in 1 AD. Now, this episode gets to cover Parsman and the rest of his family members, mainly his brother Mithridates and his son Radimistus. These will be our key players throughout our story in this episode, and as you can imagine, if the Romans are writing about it, it must be super entertaining. So, just to give you the time frame for this episode, Parsman ruled Kartli from 1 AD to 58 AD. He was around 30 when he took power and died around age 87. Remarkably, he ruled almost as long as Farnabas I, who ruled for 65 years. Now, I must mention that the scribes considered the rise of a different king to be much more important than Parsman. Who is this king? Well, what important event do you think happened in 1 AD in the world? That's right, sweet baby Jesus was born. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The Christian scribes are foaming at the mouth in happiness at being able to cover the birth of Jesus Christ. So, am I going to cover the birth of baby Jesus? You know it, because the entry that the scribes write is quite fun. Activating my Texan accent. Quote, the first year of his reign, our Lord Jesus Christ was born in the town of Bethlehem in the land of Judea. And the Magi came to him with presents. At the time of the Magi's coming to Jerusalem, the news arrived at Mitzchieta of the seizure of Jerusalem by the Persians. And cries and sobbing were heard among the Hebrews who lived in Mitzchieta. The next year, more news came in. The Persians came to Jerusalem, not for its seizure, but brought with them gifts for some newborn boy. And the Hebrews of Mitzchita rejoiced. End quote. Flash forward 30 years into our narrative, and envoys from the Judeans of Jerusalem arrive to Mitzchita to visit the Judeans that reside there. They come bearing the news that the boy of whom they have heard about all those years ago 
to whom the Magi bestowed gifts, has now become a man and calls himself the Son of God. The Judeans sent out word to have experts of religious doctrine come to pass judgment on this man. So, the Judeans of Mitzchieta send out two people, Elios from Mitzchieta and Longinos from Karsani. Most sources mention Elios, or better known as Elias. Elios and Longinos travel to Jerusalem and bear witness to the crucifixion of a man named Yeshua of Nazareth. I can't imagine what they concluded about the divinity of this strange figure, but I bet it was somehow perfectly in line with contemporary church doctrine. Also, most of the scribes don't mention this because why would they? But Elios went out of his way to approach a Roman soldier and purchased Christ's tunic from him, which he brought back to Georgia. We'll go over the many legends surrounding this tunic in more detail when the Svetitschovieli church is built in Mitzchieta under Mirvan III. I will place a picture that I took of where the tunic is claimed to be. However, that's all that the scribes write about Jesus Christ, for now at least. We should probably return to Parsman, as he is the actual Iberian king that we're talking about, but we're going to continue covering what the Chronicle says because all it really does is talk about more Christian stuff. So, the Chronicles don't really go into depth about what Parsman does in his life, and I'm sure he did quite a lot in his 57 year reign, so I'm really annoyed that they decided that talking about Jesus was more important than talking about the person under whose reign Jesus was supposedly born under. As per usual, the Kartli's Chovrieva must make note that Parsman strengthened the strongholds of Kartli, the fortresses and towns, and made the walls of Mitzchieta that much stronger on both sides of the river. While he was king, apparently two of the apostles, Andreas and Simeon the Canaanite, came to Abkhazia and Igrisi, which may or may not be in the hands of Kartli. You know, I wish we had more maps about what the borders of Iberia are, but it's something that really doesn't exist, so we're left guessing about it. Simeon and Andreas, while supposedly traveling through Igrisi, decided to do the very Christian thing and began converting the local populace to Christianity. Simeon died in the town of Nicosia, while Andreas managed to convert the Magrels to Christianity and made his way to Clargeti. However, Parsben was having none of that. He became furious at the fact that the Megrels had become apostates and sent his Aristavis to force them back to their Armazi faith. Remember, the Georgians literally murdered a king because he was Zoroastrian. They are very pious people. The Megrels, however, decided to hide their icons and crosses while they were being persecuted by the Aristavis, so they escaped their judgment. The Aristavi of Clargeti decided to let Andreas leave Clargeti in peace much to Parsman's chagrin. I'm just going to mention that according to Professor Rapp of the Sam Houston State University, that the Andreas Simeon story is probably more of a legend that took form in Byzantium no earlier than the 9th century and was appropriated by the Georgian monks abroad. This story probably gained traction thanks to its perpetuation by the Bagratid dynasty who wanted to improve relations with Byzantium, but we're still quite far from that timeline. The scribes then wrote that the Parthians finally got their act together during Parsman's reign and some king named Asgalan the Wise became the king of Parthia and brought Kartli and Armenia under his purview. Yeah, I can't find anything to back this claim up as contemporaries say different things. According to the chronicles, 
Parzman decided to split the realm in half between his sons Bartolm and Kartam shortly before his death. They split it down the river flowing between Mitischieta. Cartley from Mitischieta to Colchis went to Bartom, and Cartley from Mitischieta to Clargeti went to Kartam, and then Parzman died. Professor Rapp goes into more detail about the creation of this diarchy, mostly about how it makes zero sense when you pay attention to the Cartles Jovrieba. The rulers named in this chronicles always managed to rule for an equal amount of time before being replaced by another pair once their reign ends. Not only is this historically unaccounted for, it is a very, very long string of very convenient coincidences. Historian Ciro Tumanov argues that this never happened, and that the contemporary foreign sources never make a mention of it. He does, however, mention that when the capitals moved from Mitischieta to Armazi, the scribes made the story up to cleave royal authority into and just ran with it for years to prove a point. Stupid scribes and their judging of people. Just write the actual history of the era. To close out this section of our narrative, a bit more on Parsman. Parsman was seen as a big boy, as I described last episode, and quite a specimen of health. He did live to be 87 after all. He married an unnamed princess from Armenia, who was a daughter of Tigranes IV and his sister wife Erato. Some sources mention that he married someone else after his first wife died, but there's no evidence in other sources. Not that historians care about women all that much. <sighs> With this Armenian princess, he had a daughter and three sons. Radamistus, Mirdat, and Amazaspos. The woman is, once again, unnamed. You might notice that these are not the names of his sons in the Georgian Chronicles. I wonder why. Anyway, we should also mention that the only evidence of there being a third son named Amazaspos is found on the epigram of Amazaspos in Rome, as it memorializes the death of the royal prince, Amazaspos, brother of kings Mirdat and Radamistus, sons of King Parsman. Amazaspos died accompanying Emperor Trajan around 116 AD. It's thought that this Amazaspos is Mirdat's son, but we'll get to that later. Now, let's switch on to the more contemporary sources as written by the Romans. Here, as I mentioned earlier, we have a more riveting tale written for us by Tacitus, filled with a lots of drama, murder, and conquest. Before we get into all of that, we need to thank the original princeps himself, Augustus Caesar, for the links that he made with the Iberians, Albanians, Medes, Sarmatians, and many other nations along the eastern border of Rome. This forced the Parthians to develop a softer attitude towards the Romans, as they had more to gain from living peacefully and even cooperating with them from time to time. However, this did not stop them from fighting each other, since they were both powerhouse nations. Like any powerhouse, they decided that fighting their battles in their own land was needless and instead fought with and between their respective allies, especially more than not in the land of Armenia. Oh boy, guess what? This whole episode is going to take place in Armenia. I know what you're thinking, but Roberto, this is the history of Georgia. Well, yes it is. But you can't have the history of Georgia without bringing in Armenia for a huge chunk of it. Not to worry though, because I will center on the Iberian perspective. Plus, if you haven't noticed it by now, anything that involved Armenia always brought the rest of the Caucasus region into the fray somehow. Sometimes even those living north of the Caucasus managed to get drawn in. Anyway, the story of this particular conflict begins in 2 AD, when Caesar Augustus's grandson, Gaius Caesar, was sent to negotiate with the new Parthian king 
Freitasis. This Armenian campaign would have been of great concern to Parzmen and the other kings in the Caucasian region. Freitasis then came upon some information and happily informed Gaius Caesar that Marcus Lollius, his advisor, could not be trusted since he had taken multiple gifts from the kings in the eastern border regions of Rome. One of these kings may have been the king of Kartli himself, Parzmen. Around this time, Tigranes IV of Armenia died in the war against the barbarians, but a tiny setback such as this would not stop the Armenians from going to war against Gaius Caesar. Oh no. Now, who would be Gaius's main ally during this offensive? Why, Kartli, of course. There's no doubt that the Arbarians would come help the Romans fight the Armenians, and this is something that they would do time and time again. The Romans installed Ariobarzanus II of Atropatene as king of Armenia after the death of Tigranes IV in 2 AD. This lasted until 4 AD, when both Ariobarzanus and Gaius Caesar died. Ariobarzanus was murdered by pro-Parthian conspirators, much like his son Artavazus IV, who then ruled after him. Tigranes V would then take the throne of Armenia for the next six years, from 6 AD to 12 AD. Whoa, I'm moving away from Kartli a bit too much. Let's get back on track. The historian Strabo was not happy with how the Romans were doing things in the Caucasus region. He believed that the Caucasians would be perfect subjects for the empire. I mean, of course they would be. Who wouldn't want their wine and food entering easily through the empire's trade networks? I'm more than sure that Strabo had Khachapuri and mentioned that afterwards. Jokes aside, he thought they'd be great subjects, but because the Romans tended to not do anything in the region, the Caucasians were as bad as the people north of the Danube River. The only way that the Caucasians would be brought to order would be under the gentle rule of the Roman leaders. Of course he would say that. He was Roman. Ooh, ooh, let's skip from 12 AD to 18 AD when Emperor Tiberius put Xenon, zoom, 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 onto the Armenian throne and changed his name to Artaxius III. Artaxius ruled until 34 AD until the Parthian king Artaban kicked him out and placed his son Arshak on the throne. I swear, we just covered a King Arshak and Kartli and now we get to deal with one in Armenia? Copycats, the lot of them. Now we reach 35 AD and our sources start opening up way more on the events at the time in which Kartli had a substantial role. Historians Tacitus and Cassius Dio write that Tiberius wrote to Mithridates, the younger brother of Parsman, king of Kartli, to invite him to seize the Armenian throne. According to Tacitus, Tiberius may have been acting like a conciliator between Parsman and Mithridates because they may have been arguing with each other over who gets the new toy, as brothers tend to do, and even more so with royal families. Since Parsman already had Kartli, Tiberius was probably like, here's a McDonald's toy for you too, but instead of a toy, it's the whole country of Armenia. This conciliation might also have been finalized when Parsman's daughter married Uncle Mithridates. Incest. Yuck. However, no amount of incest will fix the argument that Mithridates and Parsman were having, and even if the Roman emperor decreed for them to stop fighting, the fight only became dormant, because apart from being a big boy, Parsman was an ambitious man. I mean, he literally came in and usurped the throne of Kartli. Since both were more or less encouraged to go after Armenia by Tiberius, 
Parsman and Mithridates spoke loudly and waved their big sticks around. In a rare moment of cooperation, they both undermined King Artabanus of Armenia by supposedly bribing his courtiers. Theirs is speaking loudly. And what speaks louder than gold? What about the big stick? They really waved those around. Parsman and Mithridates brought their armies into Armenia and seized the city of Artaxta. However, it wasn't the Iberians who were fighting. Parsman went east and brought in the Caucasian Albanians and then went north and grabbed the Sarmatian chiefs after <clears throat> also speaking quite loudly with them. Ah, money. It really does cross cultural borders. Of course, King Artabanus was not alone. He had help from the Parthians, and the Parthians also hired other Sarmatians to help them fight against Iberia. But luck was on Parsman's side. The passes to Iberia were closed by the Iberian allied Sarmatians, and they couldn't cross the passes without being killed by the Iberian Sarmatians. So the Parthian Sarmatians only had one other route available to them to cross into Iberia. They had to go around the mountains past Derbent, which was also quite treacherous because at the time, there were freak winds on the mountains. Maybe Christ's tunic was intervening. Some things were only looking up for the Iberians, since the Iberians, Albanians, and Sarmatians were not only fantastic cavalrymen, but had a great infantry to support them. Parsman was brought to battle by Orodus, son of Artabanus, and inflicted a major defeat on him. Parsman nearly killed Orodus with a blow to the head, which the chroniclers, if you remember last episode, say that Parsman's blow reverberated through the air like he was striking an anvil. So, he hits hard. At the sight of their presumably dead leader, he was actually alive, the Armenians' morale was devastated. Artabanus responded to this defeat by gathering all the forces available to him that he could find, but was defeated once more due to unfavorable terrain. So, seeing how things were going for his allies, the Armenians, the king of Parthia decided to withdraw from Armenia when he heard that Vitellius had gathered his troops to invade Mesopotamia. Thanks to Vitellius' skillful diplomacy and Artabanus' poor battle record, Parthia was intensely destabilized, and a threat to the king of Parthia's position on the throne was created. So, a treaty between Rome and Parthia was made that had Mithridates placed onto the Armenian throne. However, Artaban III, king of Parthia, was able to drive out Tiberius' candidate for the Parthian throne, Tiridat. Unfortunately for him, Mithridates' rule was short-lived. Why? Because Emperor Little Boots, I mean, <clears throat> Caligula, invited Mithridates to Rome and then threw him in prison. That's Roman hospitality for you. His contemporary, Seneca, implies that Mithridates was only able to return after Claudius hobbled onto the throne. So, how did Mithridates offend Caligula? Did he make fun of Caligula's war on Poseidon? Did Mithridates flirt with Caligula's sister Julia Drusilla? It's implied that Mithridates may have been part of a scheme against Caligula, which in all fairness was not against Rome's interest whatsoever, as were most things Caligula didn't want. Caligula, in his madness, may have wanted to leave Armenia to the Parthians, but in 47 AD, Claudius let Mithridates return to Armenia, probably after Mithridates spent some time brown-nosing the Romans, or as we call it today, building links and working towards his reinstatement onto the Armenian throne. So you see, 
The Romans had this expectation where local rulers whom they supervised, such as the Iberians and Armenians, would gather and give them the information of local goings-on in the regions that they were located in. So, our King Parzibin kept the Romans updated on the civil war in Parthia between Vardanus and Gotarzes. Parzibin also mentioned the key piece of information, that being that due to their struggle for the throne, the Parthians neglected many other things that they usually kept their eye on. So, what is so important to the Iberians that they must tell the Romans? Yes. Armenia. The Parthians were ignoring Armenia. Seeing this opening, Mithridates was urged by Claudius, who is one of my top 10 Roman emperors, and by King Parsman to get back to Armenia. The Armenians were not going to put up with this. They responded to this Roman-Iberian invasion in pretty much the same way that the Iberians would respond to an invasion. They went to their mountain strongholds, but this was not an issue for the Romans. For sure, an annoyance, but not an issue. You see, the Romans, especially the legions coming from Syria, had the military engineering skills to take the siege to the mountains and did so. The Iberians were content with distracting the Armenians on the plains. Through Roman siege warfare and the Iberian cavalry, the Armenians quickly capitulated and Mithridates became the king of Armenia yet again and he began to abuse that kingship immediately. He must have picked up that skill from his time in Rome. The Romans destroyed the Armenian mountain forts and let the Iberians occupy the northern plains. At the same time, Emperor Claudius forbade King Cotus of Lesser Armenia from intervening in this whole fight to ensure that the Parthian commander Demonact would have no Armenian support throughout this conflict. Now we move to 51 AD. Why such a time gap? Blame it on the sources. Anyway, guess who's at war now? That's right. Iberia and Armenia are at war again, but this time, the Parthians and Romans aren't happy about it. I know what you're thinking. Why is Iberia going to war with Armenia when they're both brothers? Well, remember when I said that Parzman was quite ambitious? He was getting old and probably figured that he should really try to fulfill his ambition before he kicked the bucket. That's my guess anyway. Some clever court maneuvering on the part of Parzman brought down his brother Mithridates in Armenia, they never got along, so it wouldn't have been hard to see this coming. But who was the main actor in Mithridates' downfall? Well, it was Radamistus, Parzman's son and Mithridates' nephew and son-in-law. I swear, this is looking like a Crusader Kings game. In spite of his underhanded methods, Tacitus gives us a pretty favorable description of Radamistus. He was very much an outstanding and openly ambitious man. The apple did not fall far from the tree. But issues arise from this, as you will see Parzman being a heavy contender for our Father of the Year award. Feeling inferior to his son, Parzman decided that he didn't want Radamistus usurping him while he was getting old, and told Radamistus that if he wanted a kingdom, he should just grab Armenia for himself. Parzman was careful and presented to Radamistus all the good things that Armenia had to offer, why he should go there, and since Parzman was the one who had taken the Parthians out of Armenia and placed Mithridates on the throne, he should get to decide who is the ruler. But Radamistus couldn't just arrive with an army to Armenia, that would be uncalled for. So, being sneaky sneaky, Parzman faked having an argument with Radamistus and his stepmother, and Radamistus fled, air quotes, to Armenia as a refugee of Iberia. Mithridates wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, and received Radamistus with great honors, 
pretty much like a cool uncle would do. We can assume that since Parsman and Mithridates were rather hostile to each other, any enemy of Parsman, especially one as close as Radamistus, would be welcome to the Armenian court. Being given such a lavish welcome, you'd think that Radamistus would change his mind about messing with his uncle. He did not. Instead, Radamistus used his time in the Armenian court well and secretly encouraged the Armenian nobility to revolt against Mithridates. Not like they needed much nudging? They have way too many kings in a short time span. Having the support of the Armenian nobility, Radamistus returned to Iberia and they came up with an excuse for war to use against Mithridates. Now, we don't know what the reason was, but a possible reason is that Parsman claimed that Mithridates opposed his request for Roman aid against the Albanians. Tacitus doesn't say if this was false or if it was simply an inadequate reason. If anything, it's somewhat plausible since an Iberian would probably seek Roman aid against the Albanians to protect their eastern border. Radamistus returned to Armenia with his Iberian forces. Mithridates pulled the oldest strategy in a Caucasian warfare book and he retreated to the mountains, specifically the fortress at Gournay. Radamistus was screwed. Without Roman support, he wouldn't have the siege equipment or knowledge necessary to build them, so he couldn't seize the fortress by force. Instead, he proceeded to undermine his uncle by negotiating with the Roman legions stationed at Gournay. These Romans were under the command of a prefect named Caelius Polio, who has nothing to do with the disease, and a centurion named Casparius, the friendliest ghostus. These Romans were probably at the fortress since Mithridates' return in 47 AD. The placement of these legions in Armenia indicates to us that Mithridates' regime was still rather unstable, since he was probably under a permanent threat of a Parthian invasion and or an Armenian revolt. This might have given cause for Parsman to ask for aid against the Albanians, and why Mithridates denied it. Having the Romans depart his land would have made his throne that much more unstable. Things were looking bleak for Mithridates. These were the soldiers who had fought with Parsman a few years earlier, so they had become quite friendly with the Iberians. The centurion Casparius left the fortress to inform the legate of Syria, Emidius Quadratus function, of what was happening in Armenia, as well as Parsman's request to Mithridates and Mithridates' denial. With Casparius now being gone, Radamistus took this chance and sent a bribe to Pollio, who then persuaded Mithridates to strike a treaty. The reason Pollio's request may have even come to Mithridates was because there was a shortage of resources at Gournay, and Radamistus' siege was succeeding in breaking down morale for the Romans. This would have led to a potential mutiny within the fortress and caused much more damage to the Armenians and Romans. Radamistus and Mithridates met, and while oaths were being taken, Radamistus seized Mithridates, enchained him, and then suffocated him. Mithridates' wife was also killed, and if you remember, this was Parsman's daughter and Radamistus' sister. The weeping children were then butchered by the Iberian troops. This was all under the orders of Parsman. Father and brother of the year is now awarded to you both, you mad lads. Let's take this time to remember Mithridates. His older brother had all the spotlight, while he was himself imprisoned by Caligula. Mithridates is comparable to being Luigi, while Parsman is Mario. You can't help but pity him. He just wanted to be king. The legate of Syria saw what was occurring and courageously ignored it. 
he did not want to be involved in the squabble. Emperor Claudius, however, was furious and became concerned for his other allies in Transcaucasia and ordered Parsman to withdraw his troops and Randomistus from Armenia. This fury from Claudius is made more apparent when his intimate friend Julius Pelagnus, the procurator of Cappadocia, raised his levies and made his way towards Armenia with the goal of seizing it. These levies were quickly dispersed before he could even reach Radamistus. We can assume that he was probably bribed. Pelignus then urged Radamistus to become king of Armenia. Radamistus did not have to be told twice. This decision from Pelignus may have come because he may have noticed that his levies would not have been enough to take on Radamistus to begin with. A legion was sent instead from Syria under the command of Helvidius Priscus to make things right in Armenia once more. This whole thing with Iberia and Armenia only added fuel to the Roman desire to be more militarily involved in Transcaucasia, and in a decade or so, legions will be established closer to the borders in Cappadocia. Over in Parthia, Vologaese or Valarche has now become king of Parthia and ruled from 51 to 80 AD. He invaded Armenia to assert his right to rule, drove back Radamistus, and had to quickly exit Armenia and withdraw to Parthia because he was hit by winter. Winter, not only Russia's best friend in the war. Radamistus soon returned to Armenia and came with a massive grudge against the Armenians who had submitted to Vologaese. Guess what? We have another Armenian uprising. It was then when Tiridat, Vologaese's brother, came and took the throne. And with that, 20 years of Iberian rule of Armenia is gone, and so is our empire. Radamistus ran back to Iberia with his tail tucked between his legs. His pregnant wife, Zenobia, was unable to make the journey with him. Guys, before I continue, this is sad yet amazing. We finally have a woman's name from the actual Farnavazid family. Of course, in a classic Roman style, Tacitus goes on to say that Zenobia convinces Radamistus to kill her because she is unable to make the journey due to her condition. He agrees and throws her into the Araxis River. She was found half dead by some shepherds and taken back to Artazata, the capital of Armenia, and given the privileges of royalty while there. I should mention that Zenobia is a daughter of Mithridates, who Radamistus killed, along with the rest of her family. So this is Radamistus' cousin, niece, wife. Anyways, from what little we know about Zenobia, she gave birth to an unnamed son and they spent the rest of their days out in the Armenian court. But what about Parsman? He's barely mentioned. I mentioned Mithridates the most in this episode. Well, Parsman stays in the shadows like a true villain. I guess I'm happy with having these Roman sources because the Georgian Chronicles are absolutely no help at all right now. So. We know about this whole situation, but why were they mad? Well, the Iberians were growing too darn powerful, and the Romans do not like powerful neighbors. Leave it to a bigger empire to ruin the good things Georgia is doing. <coughs> Russia. <coughs> In order to placate the Romans, Parsman was forced to execute Radamistus for treason to convince the Romans of his loyalty. Just how true are these treason charges? Well... Before we get angry, Parsman may have been justified in doing so. Radamistus had been ordered not just by Parsman, but by Emperor Claudius to withdraw from Armenia. Tacitus suggests that Parsman was secretly encouraging Radamistus to pursue his ambitions outside of Iberia 
from the exact start of this conflict, but Parsman was more than hesitant to appear actively disloyal to Rome. So Radamistus' lack of immediate return from Armenia after taking out Mithridates was his charge of treason. Now, this also could have been for the sake of Roman alliance to stop a coup by Radamistus now that Radamistus might need a new throne, or just because Parsman was a horrible father and ruthless. I officially dubbed Parsman Father of the Year. Hey, this is our first Kartveli ruler. Who else will get this title? We spent most of this episode speaking about Radamistus and Mithridates, but we need to end with Parsman as he is the last one standing. Plus, how can we transition without him dying? With three kingdoms under his purview, that of Armenia, Iberia, and Albania, we can really say that Kartli did have an empire for at least two decades. In 58 AD, Parsman finally met his maker, but not before showcasing his hostility towards the Armenians with a newfound vigor to prove his loyalty to Rome. He was posthumously awarded the portion of Armenia that bordered Iberia, and Armenia was divided up amongst the other kings of the Caucasian region. This helped improve the chances of Tigranes, the new Roman nominee for the Armenian throne. This land might have been given to Parsman for having dealt with Radamistus as well as compensation for, you know, being forced to kill his own son. Here is where we'll end today's episode. We'll see Mirdat take his father's throne quite soon and see how the Kartlis Khovreba starts differing from the whole contemporary sources. And this is the part where I need to make my announcement. As many of you know, the holiday season is coming up with my next episode supposed to be scheduled for the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I will not be in town and I will not be releasing an episode. I am using the holidays to my advantage and I will be attempting to get ahead with research and writing. So this is the last narrative episode of the year. You can catch us in the second week of December with a Christmas episode about Georgian Christmas, which I will bring my first set of guests onto the show. It will be my wonderful teachers from Hoda, Georgia, Becca and Gwanza. We're going to have a fun conversation and teach y'all the differences in how we celebrate Christmas and talk about Georgian traditions. This will also be a good time to mention that we won't be back until late January because I will hopefully be doing some traveling, so I will be unable to be home to record everything. I can easily write and research from the road though. And final note, I had an announcement on the feed where I was a guest on the Eastern border. I'd love for y'all to check out that episode as I talk a bit about Soviet Georgia and the king of poets himself, Galaktion Tabidze. Happy holidays, y'all. To support us, feel free to look us up on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as The History of Sakatavilo, Georgia, on Twitter at History underscore Georgia, on our website at historyofsakatavilo.com, or on our email at thehistoryofsakatavilo, Georgia at gmail.com. Sakatvelo is spelled S-A-Q-A-R-T-V-E-L-O. If you would be so kind in aiding with purchasing sources, especially with the holiday season coming up, please be a good secret Santa or be a Santa with your actual name in it and use the link I have provided to my Amazon wishlist in the transcription on the website, but only if you want to be a good Santa. Also, a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast host goes a long way with getting the word out about the show and helping us reach new people to learn about Georgia. Madlaba Danakramdis, and thank you for listening to the history of Sakatavilo, Georgia. See you next time! Tuhasetura Kaitavi Vadavaragams